0: WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint.
1: Thanks for joining us here on what is a special edition of Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. This week we are looking back at the big year in politics from investigation into Charlotte City staff to a historic election across the country. Over the next 30 minutes we'll share with you some of the news making moments from here on Flashpoint and from the dedicated reporting of our WCNC Charlotte team. First up, This upcoming week, Senator elect Ted Budd will take office. We sat down with him back in October as he was fighting to keep North Carolina's Senate seat red. What would your plan be to help? Decrease inflation while acknowledging this is not a US specific problem. The inflation is a worldwide problem right now. So you have essentially two sides of the equation. You have the
2: interest rate side, which of course the feds going to chase that until they slow down the economy enough, but. Go back to the definition of what inflation is from Milton Friedman, too much money chasing too few goods. And so the Fed's gonna do what they can on the interest rate side to slow down the demand, but you have to fix the supply side and that's energy. A lot of that is uh, the hostile environment that Joe Biden has created uh, towards American energy production, including on day one, killing the Keystone pipeline. Not only did that kill 10,000 jobs and more after that, created a mismatch between the supply that they have of energy in Canada and our refining capacity in the US, which would have gone right out to people's gas tanks. It would have lowered the cost of fuel. It would have allowed groceries to get to store cheaper. It would allow farmers to plant less expensively and get food to uh, to market even less less expensively. So again, we've got to get back to pro-energy. We've got to allow people to get back to work and not discourage work. Um, And then again, you can't over-regulate businesses like the Biden administration is doing because it makes it hard on the small businesses out there,
1: not so much as the big businesses, but the small businesses that are just trying to make ends meet. Um, As a congressman, you co-sponsored a a bill that would ban abortions nationwide after 15 weeks. I wanna get some some clarity here. What does your ideal abortion law look
2: like? Well, if the Democrats are gonna do something as extreme as the so-called Women's Health Protection Act, and don't be deceived by the name of that, that's the most radical abortion bill in history. So if they're gonna do something federal, I'm gonna counter that federally, such as the bill that you're referring to. But I'd much rather it be, like what the Supreme Court said, that it needs to go back to the states. Uh, Any exceptions for life of mother, rape? I've I've always, look, I'm pro-life and I have been long before politics and I've always been about supporting life, including the life of the mother. Uh, Exception for rape? About the life of the mother.
1: Okay. Made a lot of news with that interview. Ted Budd is not the only one heading to Washington this week. Charlotte Congresswoman Alma Adams returning to the House for her fifth term. Back at June, we spoke to the Congresswoman about one of the biggest stories of this past year. At the time, the US Supreme Court had just overturned Roe v Wade. She shared with us her thoughts on what it means for the country. How comfortable, how confident are you that abortion will remain legal in North Carolina?
3: Well, I'm, I, I, I just believe that uh, uh women are going to stand up people men and women uh so I mean I you know a lot of it's going to depend on I guess who's in the legislature that's always the case um uh, you know I tell folks you don't change policy until you change policymakers, to change their minds or you know we have another uh, way of changing them but uh I'm hoping that um we will be able to appeal to uh, our state and that it will still remain uh, legal. Uh, but you know, it, it, but it, I think if, if people continue to speak out and speak up, uh, that um, we get folks um, uh, prepared for this fight, because it is going to be one, um, um, hopefully we'll be able to maintain it.
1: Um, what's this mean for maternal health? You've come on this show talking about maternal health <laughs> for, for, for years. Um, what changed in the last week?
3: Well, that means that uh, uh, black and brown women are those who will be impacted the hardest, I, I believe. Uh, those who live in rural areas, those who have lower incomes and can't afford to cross state lines to care, uh, young people, LGBTQ people and, and uh, women in abusive re- relationships. Uh, but we know that um, we already have uh, concerns about um, um, black women. And the fact that, that we're dying at higher rates in terms of giving birth, etc., uh, this is going to exacerbate the problem. So, um, I'm concerned about that as well. Um, you know, if you if you have the funds, if you can travel, uh, and, and that kind of thing, then you don't have to worry. But so many people don't have that and uh, won't have it, and so it's going to uh, impact um, uh, these women probably at. T- t- Greater degrees than
1: others. Again, the Congresswoman back in June of this past year. Well, this weekend, another interim superintendent getting ready to take charge of CMS after yet again another big shakeup throughout this year. You might remember back in April, the school board fired Ernest Winston and chose former Hugh Hadabaugh as a temporary replacement. As WCNC Sheryl's Shamaria Morrison explains, now it's time for another temporary leader to take over, and this time it's Crystal Hill.
4: Hill will start in her role as interim superintendent on January 1st. I've always been um, laser focused on doing my very best in whatever role I was in, and that's what I plan to do um, today as I was named interim superintendent. Um, There is a lot of work that needs to be done. Hill replaces current interim superintendent Hugh Hadbaugh. He's stepping down at the end of the month to take care of his sick father. He was supposed to serve through June of next year. Hill has worked closely with Hadabaugh and was hired under his tenure. She's been working really side by side with Dr. Hadabaugh to take the board's goals and guardrails and really operationalize them throughout the district. Before coming to CMS, Hill was at Cabarrus County Schools, where she was the assistant superintendent of curriculum and instruction. And when you look at her academic background and um, her resume, um, she's yeah, you know, she brings a really strong skill set, but most importantly, what she's shown us in her work is um, is has just been a tremendous ability to take the vision and the values that we've put out there and carry them from the boardroom to the classroom. Hill says like Hattabaw her job is to make the time between now and hiring a superintendent smoother. There's so much work that needs to be done. We'll be uh, recommending our budget. There's a bond referendum, the comprehensive student assignment. Hill's contract will run through June 30th. She'll be paid about $21,000 each month. The district says it's still working to find a permanent superintendent. Shamaria Morrison, WCNC Charlotte.
1: The election's proving big for North Carolina Republicans. State leaders now planning their 2023 agenda. That's coming up next right here on Flashpoint. Welcome back to Flashpoint. The election in 2022 pivotal for both state and federal lawmakers. In the North Carolina General Assembly, Republicans able to gain two seats and take a supermajority in the state Senate. But Democrats were able to hold them off from a supermajority status in the state House. That means Governor Cooper still holds his veto power. WCNC Charlotte's Chloe Lesner explains what that means for the next two years.
5: Some state Democrats tell me they think the next two years could be tough. Democrats were able to keep Republicans from getting a supermajority in the House, but only by one seat. However, legislators on both sides of the aisle tell me they're hopeful they'll still be able to work together to pass important legislation for North Carolinians. Republicans now hold 30 out of 50 state Senate seats, the two-thirds they need to have a super majority. Brad Overcash won Tuesday night, keeping District 43 in Gaston County Republican.
2: And we've seen a lot of uh, great initiatives that the people of North Carolina have wanted uh, to be stalled, quite frankly, by the lack of a veto-proof majority. And we're going to be able, uh, allowed to have state government that works for the people uh, without that type of that type of that type of problems.
5: Senate Democrats like Natasha Marcus are concerned about the implications this could have.
2: We
4: saw last time Republicans had a supermajority in the General Assembly. Some of their worst instincts go unchecked. HB2 comes to mind immediately, which was not only terrible for Mecklenburg County and a slap in the face of Charlotte voters who wanted some non-discrimination ordinances to go into place here, but was bad for our entire state's economy, our reputation.
5: In the North Carolina House of Representatives, Republicans gained two seats and still have the majority, but not enough for a supermajority that keeps republicans from overriding governor roy cooper's vetoes but representative wesley harris thinks it could get tense
0: we have one seat that is the difference between republican supermajority and and bipartisanship in north carolina and so there is going to be a lot of pressure on, on democrats to hold firm next year and make sure we can we can sustain governor veto's, uh governor cooper's governor cooper's veto when it when it comes to it uh, because that's that is the only way we are going to get bipartisan compromises in North Carolina, which is which is what our people want. Uh.
5: Since Republicans lost their super majorities in both the House and Senate in the 2018 election, none of Cooper's vetoes have been overridden. Cooper tweeted North Carolinians voted for balance and progress when they stopped a GOP supermajority in both chambers. In studio, Chloe Leshner, WCNC Charlotte.
1: And one of the people who will really play a critical role in setting the agenda for the General Assembly is House Speaker Tim Moore, one of the most powerful people in North Carolina politics. Back in November, we spoke with the Cleveland County state lawmaker to get a preview of the 2023 legislative agenda. You expect to take up Medicaid expansion next year, but as you know, it's been seven years. We're only one of 12 states without Medicaid expansion. You have a governor Republican Senate willing to act now. This would now then push back expansion money another year on behalf of the hundreds of thousands of North Carolina residents that fall in that gray area that can't pay for private insurance, but don't qualify for the state's unexpanded Medicaid plan. You, you know those folks are frustrated. What, what is the holdup when it comes to Medicaid expansion after all this time?
0: Well, a couple of things. One, you're not talking about a full year. This is November. We come back in session in the new session in January. So you're talking about a couple of months, is what you're talking about. Uh, I do think that it'll be an issue that we take up very soon in the session. Uh, Really, and really the disagreement that between the House and the Senate, when it came to the expansion part, was not so much the expansion itself, because as you and your viewers know, the House, or probably know, the House actually overwhelmingly passed a bill that would move forward with expansion. So we did that several months ago. Uh, the issue was that the, uh, the, the Senate was interested in adding a few other things to it that had to do with scope of practice for uh, medical practitioners had to do with what's called the certificate of need law, which is a very important and very tough issue. So uh, those issues probably complicated it a little bit more than some of the others. But you know the parameters and the guidelines that, that we put in in terms of cost, uh, cost accountability making sure there's some kind of work requirement and of some kind so that folks don't abuse the system and ensuring that if the federal match goes away, that the state will not be on the hook. Uh, Those things are are a part of what's being negotiated. So I think it will end up being fine. So one I would say is it probably won't be that long before we deal with it. But number two, uh, there are a lot of issues surrounding it. And and one other thing you mentioned, the folks in the gray area, actually under the COVID uh, protocols that are in place right now, most of those folks are already being covered and would continue to be covered anyway uh, on into the beginning of next year. So I don't know of any situation where folks are going to drop off in between anything. Anyway. Fair,
1: fair point. House Speaker Tim Moore back in November. A big year for Charlotte City Council. Next, the multi million dollar project that could revitalize parts of uptown. Well, in 2022, Charlotte City Council signing off on spending millions of dollars for Spectrum Center renovations. Those plans include a new Hornets training facility and transportation center. WCNC Charlotte's Austin Walker learned why this was not an easy decision for City Council.
4: It's time that we stop Thank corporate you, welfare Fenway. and tell people to pay for their own it's stadium.
6: It's a puzzle that needs to to happen. Passionate public comment largely contradicting each other. Some urging there are more pressing matters. I think
2: tourists are more concerned about being shot outside the arena than they are about who is making shots
6: inside the arena. The council saying they're put in a bad situation. This is a bad
1: contract. There's no other choice that this is the option. This is the best way to play, play this hand
0: that we've been dealt.
6: Leading up to a vote the same day. <coughs> that motion passes. Here's what's included. 173 million in required Spectrum Center renovations, an additional 42 million in other improvements, and finally, 60 million for a performance facility for the Hornets. Tracy Dodson, Assistant City Manager, saying from the beginning, this is a win-win for the city and the Hornet. But WCNC Charlotte seeking clarification Monday, looking at the proposed diagram. The 60 million granted, that only covers the floor the facility is on. Not the building, not the parking. So where's the money and who is going to pay for the infrastructure? Dotson says there's a couple different places it could come from, but are unsure. She does say there will be no tax increase. An ambitious proposal passing largely 10 to 1, but not happily.
1: Austin Walker reporting. City council members, several of them say they are not happy with the plan because the public didn't have enough time to weigh in. Meanwhile, Charlotte Mayor Vi Lyle is hoping all this investment and innovation will bring more folks back to uptown. The mayor says this upcoming year 2023 could be the time we see the heart of Charlotte thrive once again. Even after now years of remote workers, we spoke with the mayor back in June. Can all those restaurants and shops and bars, can they sustain themselves on this new normal? And and if if they can't, should the city of Charlotte step in?
7: i believe in the um capitalism that we have to have for those businesses i also believe that government has a role in keeping those folks available and ready whenever we recover fully from it I, i see a different um perhaps downtown or center city as you would say is that I see the lunches coming back. I see the buildings coming back. And I also believe that what we'll do is see a gradual increase where businesses are making a decision to bring back 20%, 30%. And they're going to adjust as we move along. So we um, have been very fortunate to have um, Honeywell created a fund Just to keep those dry cleaners the um, gift shops the flower shops strong and during the pandemic and so we were able to keep them in their places with their leases and i believe that the economy will recover more Um, i know that what the city's role to do is to make sure that we don't create obstacles to that and that's what we're trying to accomplish
1: you you mentioned economic recovery but at the same time if the big banks and the big companies don't change their hybrid schedule, their return to work, uh, do, you, do you see Uptown having the, the, the population flow of people on a random Tuesday that it had three years ago?
7: I don't think that you'd see it today, but will we see it at some point in the 22-23 um, timeframe? I do believe that there's the opportunity to see it then. I, I believe that, and we talked about this briefly, companies have culture and in the culture you can't do that by Zoom and you can't do it by home and as you look at some of the um, ways that people recover I think banks and the private sector that we have in technology they will figure this out and when they do figure it out we'll be ready to assess how we deal with it but my belief is that we'll see more than the 30 percent coming back into the center city
1: ahead on this special edition of Flashpoint why Mayor Lyle says the city needs to do better when it comes to Equity at the Government Center. Welcome back to this special edition of Flashpoint this past fall. Charlotte Mayor Vi admitted admitting the city made a mistake after a WCNC Charlotte investigation raised some serious questions about the equity at the Government Center at the center of it all more than $400,000 contract to an uncertified talent coach. She's close friends with the top city executive as our own Nate Morbido reports. The mayor now pledging to get to the bottom of our discovery so the city doesn't do it again.
8: Officials have maintained they followed an allowable process in repeatedly awarding work to a relatively new company. But we found the city failed to consider any certified minority women in small business enterprises, especially concerning since one of the jobs was tied to the mayor's racial equity initiative. We made a mistake. During Mayor Vilile's monthly radio appearance on WFAE's Charlotte Talks Wednesday, host Mike Collins grilled her about WCNC Charlotte's discovery you are your own north star we
7: also need to do the work and get the work done in the appropriate way and i believe we missed this one
8: of failure by the city to consider other qualified small businesses for a laundry list of government work during the pandemic.
7: We have to provide everyone this opportunity. Where we missed this is that we did not create the opportunity and the equity in the process. So, yes, we I, I can't say it anymore. More clearly, we missed the mark on this one.
8: WCNC Charlotte found... Talent coaches like Nicole Smith.
7: You speak about diversity, equity, inclusion. Now it's time to
8: walk the talk. And Kami Andrea jumped through hoops to be certified as minority women and small business enterprises. We are qualified and we didn't have an opportunity.
4: Like that is the thing that upsets me and disappoints me. And I know I'm not the only one
8: only to learn the city failed to consider them and others for $417,000 worth of jobs, most tied to the Economic Development Department, including an equity-related internal consulting gig. Instead, that work went to Evolution owner Tori Stevens, whose upcoming bridal party includes the city's Assistant Economic Development Director.
7: I can't say whether or not the leadership um, made this decision, intentionally or unintentionally, but we will try to determine how to not do it again.
8: When questioned by WCNC Charlotte, the economic development director and assistant city manager defended all of the work, telling us the assistant director wasn't involved in the hiring of her friend. All of the jobs doled out in smaller increments over the course of more than two and a half years. Can you understand why some people feel taken aback by this?
4: Well, I would say that we stand beside the process that we went through on this.
8: The mayor said while the process used by the city is legal, the end result doesn't align with Charlotte's values. She also said excluding the executive from Stevens hiring probably wasn't good enough.
7: When it got to a certain amount, there should have been a bell that would go off that says, hey, no, this isn't consistent with our policy.
8: The mayor has already asked the city manager to investigate. During her radio appearance, she didn't rule out the possibility of an audit as well. Nate Morabito, WCNC
1: Charlotte. What a year it has been. We'll see you back here next week. In the meantime, have a happy and safe new year.